in Spring Branch, we speak more than 145 different languages, and that diversity translates into a thriving economy. Our district's a melting pot. It's a great place to find the staff you need. Spring Branch is working for business. Yours. Find out more at spmd.org. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Dugout Download, an Astros podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer of the Houston Chronicle, along with Astros beat writer Matt Kawahara. And Matt, one thing that's changed since our last time, the Astros have a new manager. Dana Brown has said it might be his latest Thanksgiving. He hoped to have it done by then, but lo and behold, he wound up uh, announcing his choice on Monday. Yeah, it was a quick pivot. Um, and, you know, we left the GM meetings and uh, on the heels of Dana Brown saying, yeah, this could go another two weeks or so. Um, and then it was just... I guess three or four days later um, that the news emerged that they were getting ready to name Joe Spot as the next manager of the Astros. And then they held the official announcement on Monday. Um, so, I mean, I think one of the main takeaways from the introductory uh, press conference on, on Monday was that Dana Brown did acknowledge that really Joe Spot was the leading candidate all along. And he was asked um, directly at the GM meetings uh, if Espada is the leading candidate. Uh, and Dana Brown would not commit to that at that point. Um, he said it would be unfair to Espada to, to deem him the, the leading candidate then. Uh, at that point, he was still saying that, you know, they were uh, kind of going through a list of possible candidates. Um, but, I mean, still to this point, there's there have been no other names or no other candidates that have become publicly known or nobody else is publicly known to have interviewed. And at the, uh, at the press conference, uh, Dana Brown said that, you know, Joe Espada was the leading candidate all along. So... Joe Spada is the next manager of the, uh, of the Houston Astros. Yeah, one wonders. I know that there'd been rumblings that perhaps the Brewers were interested in him. Now, they wound up going to their bench coach, Pat Murphy, to succeed counsel. Uh, so, you wonder, well, maybe that uh, had them rushing a little bit. They didn't want to get him swiped away. Um, because from what Dana Brown, what it sounded like, and the only other name I heard him ever mention was after counsel got hired by the Cubs. He said, oh, we had some interest, but never really named anybody else, as you said. To our knowledge, we don't even know if he interviewed anybody else. But from what Dana Brown said, when you to your point about Espada sounded like the, the choice all along, it sounds like the relationship between Brown and Espada was kind of laid throughout the season. Yeah, and I think you can, I mean, you can look at it as like he was the, the logical choice, I guess, to succeed Dusty Baker the whole time. Because I, I go back to something, I think it was the first sort of conference call that uh, a few beat reporters had with, um, with Dana Brown after the season ended. Uh, shortly after Dusty Baker had announced his uh, retirement. And um, he sort of described, um, so, you know, some characteristics of somebody that he would want as the next manager. Uh, and it was, I mean, I think a theme was sort of continuity almost, but I don't want to say like he was always thinking like, I'm going to lean toward familiarity, but, um, but then you got to the GM meetings and he was asked a couple of different ways, like, you know, is it difficult to uh, to find somebody to come in and, and sort of uphold the standard that um, that the Astros have played to uh, over the last seven seasons, uh, reaching you know seven consecutive ALCSs? And he said, 
uh, yes, that's, I mean, that's something that you have to consider is, is, is it somebody that you, you don't really want someone to, you know, come in and, uh, change things necessarily too much. Uh, it's more of kind of coming in and fitting in uh, with the, the current clubhouse, uh, the current team, how they're going to um, gel with the players. I mean, it, all, all the way, different ways that you described it, it seemed like, you know, they were kind of looking for somebody who would be able to kind of come into the, the environment that was already there and sort of keep the, keep the train rolling. Um, and so, you know, I mean, when you look at it from that perspective it it really did make a lot of sense to uh to go with somebody who has been a part of this for uh i mean in joe spada's case six years who has been the bench coach through uh under two different managers in aj hinch and dusty baker um he's been here through three different general managers um he's been with you know the last six teams that have that have gone to league championship series and and is very familiar with the personnel and um and just kind of the way that things operate and uh, and yeah, I mean, going back to your to your question, there was another thing that Dana said at the press conference was that kind of throughout the season he was, uh, I think the way he put it was interviewing Espada without no without him knowing necessarily that he was interviewing him. It was just he described kind of conversations that they would have throughout the course of the season where he was getting to know him, getting to know how sort of his mind worked from a baseball point of view, and obviously it was something that he was very, uh, I guess, impressed with or felt very confident and comfortable with going forward with uh, with making this hire. Dana Brown, you know, was talking about and, and certainly would never disparage Dusty Baker. Uh, and they seem to get along well. Uh, we know there were kind of maybe public comments occasionally where maybe Dusty would do something Dana. Uh, but he, he, he basically said, hey, Dusty's the manager. These are his decisions. But I'm wondering, do you foresee any change in the dynamic at all between Brown and his father as we had between Brown and Baker? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think, you know, there were a couple of uh, examples over the course of the season where Dana did publicly state that, um, you know, I think the the main example is uh, playing time for Yanner Diaz over the course of the season. I think there were multiple occasions where he did publicly say, yeah, I would like to see Diaz in the lineup more often, but Dusty's the manager and he makes the lineups. Um, and that was a, a line that he um, – kind of stuck to throughout the course of the season and even the off season uh, early on, he said like when he was asked about uh, constructing a roster this off season, whether he wanted a manager's input in that, he said, no, that's the front office's job. And then once the pieces are in place, then it's the manager's job to, uh, to deploy them basically to write and make out the lineups and, and do the in-game stuff. So I don't know that it'll be um, like clearly deliver, you know, entirely set apart entirely delineated that way i would i would think that because this is dana brown's hire and i mean he he made a point of saying um one of the first things he said in that news conference and you know he had even said it during the search process was that uh astros owner jim crane was allowing him to run the search and um and so i mean if that is in fact the case, then this is this is Dana Brown's hire. This is Dana Brown's handpicked manager. Um, obviously, this is going to be the, the sort of the brain trust between him and Joe going forward uh, into this whatever next iteration of um, of this Astros run is. And so, I would think that maybe there will be a fair amount of kind of communication collaboration between the two of them. I think they both kind of hit on that theme multiple times uh, during sort of the introduction. Um, and, uh, and and Dana Brown did mention multiple times that 
communication and uh, you know ability and willingness to collaborate were qualities that he was looking for uh, in the next manager. So I think uh, I think there will be uh, a fair amount of that sort of collaboration going into it. Um, but you know when you get into the actual in-game stuff, I would assume that is going to be happening in the dugout. I guess a lot of people are wondering now what will be the makeup of his spot as staff if a lot of the current people will be there. I, if you're speaking of continuity, it's hard to imagine a lot of change, but we know he does at least need a bench coach um, to fill the vacancy that he's now created by becoming manager. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, there weren't a lot of hints about that um, yet. Uh, the The question that was asked was whether he, um, Joe Spada would like to have somebody as a bench coach who has previous managerial experience so that he can sort of have somebody to uh, to maybe bounce things off, somebody who's been through this role before, who he can kind of, um, you know, run ideas through and, and at least, you know, has so that there's somebody there, uh, whether Tim or the guy who is right, who's kind of, you know, done this role before and, and seen it from that point of view. Um, he didn't say that that was a necessity or that he felt like that's a necessity. I, he didn't rule it out, but... Uh, but he also didn't say, like, yeah, I, I need somebody there who's who's managed before. So, um, so there weren't really too many indications of um, whether there is going to be uh, any or a fair amount of turnover on the coaching staff. I think, um, uh, obviously, like you said, they they will need to add at least one person. He did say that he hopes there's going to be a high rate of uh, of staff retention. Um, Obviously, this has been a very successful coaching staff, and so I think um, you know it would behoove them to to keep you know as many people on it as possible. Um, but yeah, the, the, that's going to be sort of the main thing to watch is um, is the uh, the bench coach situation. Also, I, I would say the the pitching coaches. If there's continuity with the pitching coaches, I think that would be important as well because one thing that Joe Spada hasn't done, um, given that he hasn't managed in affiliated ball at least, is manage a bullpen. So. Um, so the pitching coaches at least have uh, familiarity with with the staff and with uh, with their relievers and sort of how to handle those guys, at least the ones who have been there for a certain period of time. And I think that would probably be helpful to have that uh, level of um, familiarity there. But uh, I guess we'll have to see that it didn't really give much of an indication of when the, those decisions are going to be made or when a staff is going to be announced. But uh, but somebody, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's interesting. Sure. And of course, the Astros, it's free agent season. We've talked about the need for some bullpen help. And I guess one thing that was clarified at the GM meetings was the fact that Yainar Diaz, Dana Brown, and I'm Joe Espada by extension, now see Yainar as, Yainar as the number one catcher. And so it sounds like we're, that whoever they pursue, this is not going to be a co-catching situation. They are strictly looking for a backup. Is that the impression you get? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the impression that Dana Brown has given since the end of the season is that Yadier Diaz is going to be the guy at catcher next year. And so they are going to be looking for a backup, which, I mean, given the fact that they may not have as much financial flexibility and they do have some some other needs in the bullpen and whether they're actually looking to add a, maybe a little rotation depth, um, as you said at the GM meetings, it, maybe it probably you know helps a little bit that they're not looking for somebody to come in and shoulder a big um a big amount of the, of the bats at catcher. Um, obviously, you know something could happen where that changes, and and somebody needs to step in and be the uh, be the regular guy. In, in which case, you know you you do want to have somebody that you feel comfortable with. But yes, he has made it clear that uh, Yiner Diaz is going to be the primary catcher next year. And speaking of Yiner, I guess one other point I'd make with the spot and uh, 
we were talking before recording here that uh, it was asked at the news conference on Monday uh, by one of the Spanish reporters. So this was not a question asked in English where I was kind of wondering myself, like, now that the season is over, now you've got the job. We've made a lot about that ninth inning, uh, top of the ninth in game five of the ALCS against Texas when the Astros made with a spot of making the moves because Baker had been ejected. Um, these successful moves that led to Jose Altuve's three-run homer with, with uh, Diaz pinch hitting and then uh, John Singleton pinching and get a walk. And I guess he was asked, he was trying to, like someone was trying to get a definitive answer. Was it you who managed the ninth? And, and you're telling me he kind of had, he gave us a little bit of clarity on that situation. Yeah, so Joe Spada was asked once again about the, uh, the the managerial moves, the pinch hit decisions at the end of that ALCS game. Um, and he did you know, give a similar description to what happened as, as we've heard before. Uh, so where those kind of, it's discussed beforehand and throughout the course of the game where pinch hitters can be deployed, the different sort of permutations that the late innings can take and, and different kind of scenarios. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it was in, in that sense, I think it was a similar answer to, uh, to what has been already established. And we know that, you know, Yiner Diaz has said that he was told before the eighth inning that he was probably going to pitch hit in the ninth. Um, and then I think John Singleton said that, you know, he was told before the ninth inning that he was going to uh, also probably pitch it there. But I, um, the the slightly different thing, and this is really the only difference, was that uh, Joe Spada said that, you know, the, the way that the hitters ended up being used in that ninth inning, he was uh, he said that he was going to give those suggestions to Dusty Baker before the start of the inning. But um, but he didn't end up doing that because Dusty Baker was ejected um, and because, you know, a manager gets ejected can be no more communication between that ejected manager and the dugout. It was not something that uh, Joe Spada needed to uh, to suggest or to run by. And so at that point, I mean, it becomes his decision. So those were the decisions that, uh, that he made. And obviously that ended up working out well. One other development that uh, happened this week, and I think you're qualified to speak on it, the fact that uh, and it and affects the Astro to some extent in terms of where they'll be traveling uh, about four or five years from now on some of the road trips. And that's the Oakland A's getting the owner approval unanimously to move from Oakland to Las Vegas. You covered the athletics for the San Francisco Chronicle before coming to the Houston Chronicle to cover the Astros. And I'd be curious, you're a good person to ask, just what are your takeaways from this situation as far as what this means to Oakland, the franchise, and uh, any insights as, you know, the lease of the Coliseum expires next year. So we figure one more year in Oakland. What happens in the interim while there's a stadium being built in Vegas? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the first thing is uh, you just feel for the fans in Oakland um, and, you know, fans of the A's, fans of baseball in Oakland. People, that team has been there for, I think it's you know, 58 seasons now. It's been a, it's been there for a very long time. Um, it's a, it really, uh, I mean, it, there is an established fan base there. And even though, you know, the stands at the Coliseum probably did not, uh, did not really reflect that in recent years, um, I think part of that was, in fact, because fans did not want to go out there and support uh, support the owner, the ownership that was, you know, entertaining the idea of a move. Um, but yeah, it's it's fans are you know going to be losing the team that they've grown up uh, rooting for and and as having as part of their kind of community, and that. Uh, that aspect of it is hard and that's sad. Um, and you really feel for those, those fans because there, there are a lot of really dedicated fans in Oakland. Um, I, 
it's going to be, I think, strange uh, and interesting, but strange and uh, to see kind of what that atmosphere is like next season. Because as you said, I mean, their their lease at the Coliseum does extend through 2024, so that is where they intend to play next year. Um, and there were already in the wake of the the owners' vote uh, this morning, I guess, uh, fan groups that were talking about. Um, you know, boycotting home games, boycotting home games altogether, boycotting opening day, um, selling their season tickets. And so, I mean, if there were, there were some extremely small crowds there in the last couple of years. And so, and, you know, if there are going to be even less people um, showing up to those games, then that's, it could be just a really, uh, a really strange atmosphere for a major league baseball game next year. And I mean, from that sense, you also, sort of feel for uh, you know, the players who are in the, the coaching staffs and the people who are on the field um, for that team, because, you know, that's, that's tough. That's, it's not easy to, uh, to, you know, have, have that be your um, sort of your, your home environment. And I mean, that was something that, you know, talking to some of the players uh, in the, in the ACE clubhouse over the last couple of years, it was something obviously they, they realized out of their control and they would, I mean, that would be the kind of the, the, standard answer was that it's not something that they can uh that they have any control over as, as to who you know who shows up how many people are there how many people aren't um and so you know they're they're out there to play regardless and obviously there are major league baseball players being paid major league baseball salaries although uh as is also well established the ace payroll is um is as if not the lowest then has traditionally been one of the lowest in major league baseball for years um and so uh, but just from sort of the energy from the um, from the environment standpoint, I think that's that's uh, difficult for uh, for the players on the team as well. Um, and then it's really the uncertainty beyond that that's uh, that's also strange because, like you said, there when that lease is up, they they have not established yet where they're going to be playing between 2025 and. 2028 when they project the stadium, uh, their ballpark in Las Vegas is going to be open um i i still am not i'm not 100 percent certain on this but i don't know that there have been actual i mean they, they released renderings of a you know a potential what a potential ballpark could look like early on in this process but uh but there were multiple i mean the there were multiple things about it whether it was you know size of the footprint um just different aspects of that rendering that made it uh, seem very impractical and maybe not doable. So I don't know that there have been uh, subsequent renderings of what an actual ballpark would look like on what is not expected to be a very, uh, not expected to be a huge site. And I mean, it, it is kind of smack in the middle of a very, uh, a, a pretty busy area of Las Vegas um, right off the strip. So uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, something that they're, we're going to have to keep an eye out for, but they, it, they, they say that they intend to open that ballpark in 2028. Uh, and, you know, who knows what, it, maybe that does happen. Maybe, you know, who knows what delays or what uh, sort of hiccups can happen between now and then that, that would potentially maybe, you know, push that further down the road, but they are going to have to find some place to play in 20, 2025, 26 and 27 um a, a logical i guess idea would be to continue playing at the coliseum if they're able to extend their lease there but i think there's going to be a lot of animosity there is a lot of animosity between the two sides between uh the a's and between the city of oakland 
uh, and uh, potentially to some extent Alameda County where the city of Oakland is located just because of how this negotiation uh, played out and uh, eventually fell apart um, where, you know, they, they decided to sort of pivot to their Las Vegas pursuit. And I, I don't know, it's, it, maybe this does happen, but I feel like right now it's, it's difficult to kind of picture them going back to the city of Oakland and saying, we'd like to stay here for another three years in the city of Oakland, just uh, automatically saying, yes, I, I think there's going to have to be some sort of, I don't know, something's going to have to change or, or happen there if that's, that's going to be the case. And if that isn't where they end up playing, then I don't know where they go necessarily. I've seen it suggested that they could play um, a segment of home games in San Francisco and then uh, I guess go around to other locations and, and play quote unquote home games there, or they could play at their AAA ballpark in Las Vegas, which is located actually in uh, the, a suburb uh, called Summerlin. And it is a extremely nice AAA ballpark, but it's also not enclosed. Um, and so if you're talking about, uh, if you're talking about playing in Las Vegas in the middle of the summer and it's not an enclosed ballpark, I feel like there's going to be some issues there. And obviously that's going to have to, I, I would assume that that's something that the players union would, would be involved in or have to be involved in that decision. And again, it's a triple A ballpark and, and, you know, the Coliseum facilities are run down and are what they are, but it has been established and it has been a long time major league facility. So, I mean, there are, I, I feel like there are, would be hangups or there would probably have to be some sort of enhancement of that, uh, that triple a facility, if that was going to be a solution. So, uh, I, yeah, there's still a lot of, um, there are still questions to be answered, but obviously this was a significant step toward, uh, the A's moving to Las Vegas. And, um, I, yeah, I think what, just to circle back to the beginning today is just, you know, it's, it really is a sad day for, uh, for kind of, baseball fans in the Bay Area and especially Oakland and, and A's fans. And so do you really feel for those those fans? You know, this is before your time. I could remember in the late 70s after the after the A's had won those three consecutive titles and then got bad when Charlie Finley had pretty much got rid of all their players before Billy Martin got there. In the late 70s, I could remember them drawing, I believe, like 600 and some for one game, uh, which is really increases your chances of getting a foul ball. But obviously when they won, the community supported the club and they've had a lot of good teams um, post 2000, uh, always had trouble getting past that division series round. But what are your like? Did, did Fisher give Oakland a fair chance to keep the A's? Well, uh, I, that's the argument coming from uh, from him. I mean, his his comments today have probably been the most uh, most public comments that he's made over the course of potentially the entire ownership, where he's saying, "Yeah, we did everything humanly possible," and I think. Commissioner Rob Manfred said the same thing, but I mean, you can definitely argue in different ways about what, what it means, you know, what humanly possible means. I know that there, I mean, the, the negotiations between the two sides went um, for, for years and there were different sites that the A's looked at as potential, like maybe we could build a ballpark here and they had to pivot away from those sites because it wasn't practical. And I mean, the city of Oakland stance, um, since uh, since their since the talks between them and the A's uh, fell apart um, early, or kind of in the middle of last uh, last year, was that they felt like they were extremely close. I mean, there had been a fair amount, uh, a good amount of, of public funding uh, raised on the city of Oakland's part, and, and this was not just a ballpark that they were trying to build there. I mean, this is 
it's not like the the A's were just trying to um, to get a ballpark built in downtown Oakland by their uh, what they call Jack London Square. It's kind of a waterfront area uh, over there by the Port of Oakland. Um, it was a it was an extremely large, very involved, um, basically infrastructure deal. I mean, it was their initial estimates for the uh, the financial impact was something along the lines of twelve billion dollars. I mean, it wasn't only the ballpark. There were there were going to be retail units involved, housing units, uh, large publicly open spaces, um, other entertainment venues. Um, it wasn't it wasn't like there what it wasn't like what they're going to be building in Vegas, which is just the ballpark. Um, they were going to be they had proposed this project that was supposed to completely revitalize uh, this area of downtown Oakland. And, and because of that, it was going to be obviously a lot, um, a lot more expensive. And there was uh, pushback from some other, from some outside uh, groups and uh, other groups that were involved in uh, other, you know, interests on the, uh, at the port. Uh, but, um, but the city of Oakland had, you know, pursued and made a, uh, made an effort to, to secure public funds, um, or, you know, through grants or whatnot to, to sort of foot some of these costs for, for infrastructure. And, uh, I mean, their stance since, um, since the A's pivoted to, to Vegas was that they felt like they were really close to a deal. And that's why they were so, uh, shocked, I guess, is the word when, when the A's did say, Hey, we're, we're turning our attention to Vegas. So, uh, and that that has been their stance through the entire thing was that they felt like they were really close to to getting to a point where there there was a deal. So um, so I guess it you know it it depends on um, sort of who you, where where you sort of fall in this. But uh, to to your point about you know fan bases in Oakland um, and and support for the team. Uh, I think it was it was either the 2017 or 20, it might have been the 2018. 2018 uh, wild card game, 2018 or 2019 wild card game. It was the one that they hosted against the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, um, and they pulled the. They normally have the the big top bleachers and uh, beyond center field um, tarped off for baseball games. They don't open those up for baseball games, but they untarped those uh, those seats and they filled the stadium. And there were I think uh, 58,000 fans. Uh, for that, that was when the wild card game was a one game wild card. So it was uh, A's Rays, and there were fifty eight thousand fans, and it was, I mean, players later described it as just like the most electric um, environment. And so I, I think it's undeniable that when there was when there were good teams out there, uh, there was support for them. And, and I mean, you've seen what happened to the contender that they had uh, as recently as as twenty twenty. They had a contending team, and then that team was gutted. Uh, payroll was slashed. Um, they traded away players who are now stars for other teams. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I mean, they, they had gone through that sort of cycle before where it was, you know, you know they, because the A's have always, you know, operated on a, um, or at least in, in sort of this quote unquote money ball era, right. They, they had operated on lower, uh, lower payrolls, and so they they had always said that their sort of cycles um, are have to be more kind of frequent, where they do um, they they would never go into full rebuild, but they would uh, trade away key players to sort of keep restocking, right? So they were always 
sort of restocking but this is this is this was the most kind of drastic one where they just completely tore down that team and and obviously you've seen the results um in the last couple of years with, with the loss totals and that combined with um so the lack of care put into the facility there and the fan experience um and i think you know, you would hear from fans just sort of the complete um lack of consideration for uh for the fans or at least the you know the the openness of saying hey we're going to look to move this team that has all contributed to fans not showing up anymore and so it's um unfortunate and it's it's really sad and it's it seems to have come to some sort of uh some sort of resolution that is that is unfortunate yeah it'll be interesting to see what las vegas calls itself themselves because um I know Oakland is hoping to retain the name of the A's for perhaps future use, although they appropriated it from Kansas City, which appropriated it from Philadelphia back in the day. But um, I would think Vegas might change its name anyway, and that's not unprecedented. The St. Louis Browns became the Baltimore Orioles. The first edition of the Senators became the Twins. The second became the Rangers. But uh, one interesting thing, and I guess when you look at it, a topic of future discussion is the fact that Rod Manford had said before Major League Baseball expanded, he wanted to get the A's and Rays situations taken care of, and ostensibly they are. If you're wondering why every voter, why every owner would vote for this relocation, well, now it opens the doors to two expansion teams coming in, and that's more money for the existing owners. So that's, I think that's part of the equation as far as what happened Thursday. But uh, yeah, they've been in Oakland uh, longer longer than they were in Philadelphia, much longer than they were in Kansas City. And so uh, uh, it's, it, it's going to be different. Uh, and as far as we know, they'll, they'll still be playing in the Coliseum at least for one more season. Matt, we thank you for your insights on Oakland as well as the Joe Espada hiring by the Astros. And we thank you for listening to this edition of the Dugout Download. Thank you to Pirate Audio for their production skills on the podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer for Matt Kawahara, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>